The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment, we'll be talking about just how far from reality Meet the Press ventured this past Sunday, along with other news. And then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson joining us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind FieldSchemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I first want to start off in Glendale, Arizona, where uh, last week the city council has finally uh, voted 4-2 to to approve a 20-year lease with the Phoenix Coyotes. This lease includes $224 million in operating subsidies for the Coyotes, which according to city manager means laying off $20 million worth of city staff over the next five years. Uh, to make it work. If anyone, if anyone ever wonders why Neil and I discuss this every Tuesday morning, well, now you have your answer. <laughs> the potential new owner, Greg Jamison, is still having problems finding buyers to help him buy the team. Even though the deal finally uh, has passed, does this mean that the Coyotes will necessarily stay in Arizona? Um, no. <laughs> First <laughs> yeah. of all, he has to actually buy the team, right? Yeah. Um, second of all, amazingly, even apparently even getting a massive subsidy might not make the team profitable. Um, so I think he's got a five-year commitment um, out of this, but you can, I believe he can still back out down the road. So, uh, you know, it's just amazing to me how much bad money they can throw after good down Glendale. Um, and, you know, you have to really hope that this will be the last of it, but I... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, 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 at this point, it's just become the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. And meanwhile, the uh, last commissioner of the NHL still hasn't retracted a statement that hockey is over in, in Phoenix. Let's move on. Um, sorry, who, who hasn't retracted? Oh, um, the, former, the former mayor of, uh, or I'm sorry, the former um uh, NHL commissioner. He once read a oh, did an op-ed. Oh, yeah. yeah, that said, "Oh, hockey's over in Phoenix. Let's move on." Yeah, I mean, it, it really does seem to be, you know. But again, I mean, like we've seen other cities, baseball in Miami certainly didn't seem to be a great success. But they're like, "Oh no, new stadium, that'll do it." Yeah, well, everything will be great then. Yeah, the case now, you know, now that we've got a new owner in Glendale, <laughs> and you know, now people are gonna. Turn out to see the team because new owner. Yeah. Well, what happens if they, you know, what if happens if the NHL hangs on to ownership of the team and it just stays there indefinitely? Or what What exactly happens if Greg Jamison still can't raise $170 million to buy a team that comes with $224 billion in subsidies? Sorry, I got to I mean, it first. I guess, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I guess I, I I guess there's, I guess there's, um, it's a possibility they could go back and try and find another owner. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf is still kicking around somewhere, um, but you have to think. I was about to say you have to think at some point the NHL would just say, okay, fine, this would be, we'd be better off, you know, selling the uh, selling the uh, team to Quebec, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, you would think that, but they haven't thought that so far. Huh. Um, and this is, this is again, this is a. It's hard to say. Let's say it's a crazy lucrative lease deal, and it is, but it manages to be a crazy lucrative lease deal in a market that is at least currently so bad for hockey that even a crazy lucrative lease deal doesn't make it a crazy lucrative team. So I, you know, I think at this point so much of it obviously has to do with Gary Bettman, you know, just want, not wanting to back away from his whole strategy of, uh, of putting teams in cities like Phoenix. Um, 
So uh, presumably they would keep beating their head against that wall, even if uh, if uh, Jameson fell through. But I I don't know. I again I don't I don't try to understand the logic of uh, the NHL business. I mean. Apparently, this is a league that decided is going to make more money by not actually playing sports <laughs> than by playing sports. So you have to kind of throw all logic out the window. Yeah, every seven years, no Stanley Cup. That that's perfectly logical. <laughs> well, you know, as uh, as the Onion joked, uh, the uh, the lockout is the most popular thing the NHL has ever done. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, in one of the odder stories this week, uh, England's Vision Pro Sports Institute Holdings wants to build a $400 million soccer field in what would that would hold 29,000 people in the city of Tampa Bay, of all places. However, this proposal isn't for an MLS team. It's for a team that would start off in the United Soccer League, where attendance is nowhere near 29,000 people. And they're hoping possibly for a later um, MLS expansion. Um, as we all know, proposing stadium deals is a national pastime, but when it comes down to financing them, things tend to fall apart. Is there any word on how much VPI is looking to get out of the city of Tampa Bay? Oh, who knows? I mean, they say, <laughs> oh, we know we're going to do it without any, any public money, but, I mean, everybody says that. Um, I mean, the one thing about the MLS is that presumably they can get a team if they get a stadium. I mean, I think MLS will give pretty much anybody a team if, as long as they have a soccer-only stadium. <laughs> um but, no, no, I'm serious. I mean, that's pretty much their criterion, you know? I mean, and it kind of works. You know, there's plenty of cities that can, that can support an MLS team. So why not, you know, just stick another team out there and, uh, as long as there's a, a venue for it. Um, and people are saying, oh, you know, MLS is more interested in Orlando than in Tampa, and Orlando's further along at getting a, a, a franchise, which, which may be true. But, you know, again, MLS has shown no qualms about putting two teams in the same city, so two teams in neighboring cities, sure, why not? Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, to me, the, the ridiculous part isn't about Tampa getting a team. The ridiculous part is $400 million. And just, just you know, looking at MLS's uh, finances, I think their um, national TV deal, for example, is worth 5% of the NHL's national TV Whoa. deal. And the NHL, as we've established, is not exactly the most popular sports league in the country. Yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, MLS is definitely, you know, whenever I say bad things about MLS or say that it's not, you know, one of the big four sports leagues, soccer fans, like, email me and yell at me. And I like soccer and I like MLS. And I think eventually it might pass hockey um, as the fourth most, most popular sport, especially if hockey <laughs> never comes back from all the walkouts. <laughs> but... Um, it's not there yet, you know, and the notion of building a $400 million um, soccer stadium with private money, I mean, you know, we talked about how building a $400 million basketball arena in Seattle with mostly private money is sort of right on the edge of doable. Yeah. Building a $400 million soccer stadium doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it would be twice as expensive as the most expensive soccer stadium built in the U.S. so far, which is Red Bull Arena. So, and this is in Tampa. So I don't know what they're thinking, but I, hey, they got on the front page. You know, they knocked the Rays stadium fight off the front page for a day. Yeah, just a side note, real quickly, as you mentioned, that like the MLS TV contract is a fifth of what the NHL's is, and the NHL's is the fourth, you know, major sport in the U.S. Um, just a side note, what has David Beckham done for the MLS? I don't know. 
it helped raise their raise their uh, profile some. Um, I, I was watching the uh, the MLS Cup when they were talking about exactly that, and you know they ran some stat across the screen that was showing like uh, you know when David Beckham came into the league, there were however many teams, and now there's more teams, and you know attendance has gone up somewhat over you know uh, over league overall. Um, and I, you know I think he's definitely helped um, again make people take. MLS a little more seriously um, as an actual league, but you know there's been other guys too. I mean, Thierry Henry on the on the Red Bulls. You know, there's, been, there's been other sort of aging former uh, European stars who have come over here, um, and it's it's a gradual process. You know, um, I think you know MLS is way better than it was ten years ago. Oh yeah, and it's still nowhere near the level of the actual elite, you know, international teams. So. Um, you know, it, that can probably help them more in terms of getting TV coverage, to be honest with you, than in terms of actual attendance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going back to the Major League Baseball, um, if, if the Rays can't get enough people in their boat to publicly subsidize the stadium, how does VPI think they're gonna, this is going to turn out any differently? I, again, I don't know. I don't know whether <laughs> they, they're serious about this. I don't know. I mean, they're 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 not a huge sports operation even in Europe, you know. They've got like a minor league Portuguese soccer team um, and they've got some, you know, some soccer uh, 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 training facilities and stuff like that. But um, So either they have some crazy business model that we don't know about that where this makes sense to them or, like I said, they're really just trying to make a splash um, and we'll either figure out what they want in subsidies down the road or you know, will back away once they realize that it's too rich for their blood, but at least they, uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't cost them anything to, to uh, put out a press release. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm not taking this very seriously until I hear some reason. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, just up the coast in Virginia Beach, they have a funny notion that they can still land the Sacramento Kings. Virginia Be- Beach's Mayor Will Simmons, I believe, is asking for $150 million from the state and local officials to help lure the team, $80 million of which would go to the Kings directly to pay for their le- relocation fee and to compensate them for playing at Old Dominion's arena in the interim while the new Kings arena is being built. Is this notion still funny, or is this in the realm of possibility now? Oh, you know, again, we're we're just like with the NHL. Um, it's anything involved. I mean, we're we're presumably talking the Sacramento Kings here, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the Maloof brothers is a parent, or either one of the Maloof brothers, <laughs> or like a, a representative of one of the Maloof brothers, or a distant cousin of one of the Maloof brothers, or something has actually met with Virginia Beach. Um, and like, as with the NHL, anything involving the Maloof brothers, you have to throw logic out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, given the way they've behaved in the past. So, does it make any sense to put an NH? Uh, sorry, to put an NBA team in Virginia Beach? Um, almost certainly not. I mean, it doesn't really make sense um, from Virginia's perspective to throw 150 million dollars in state money plus, I think it's close to 200 million in city money um, at an arena. Um, I'm not sure um, that it makes sense from Comcast's perspective um, to put up this arena and expect to make all the money back uh, uh, on, you know, the massive Virginia Beach uh, arena, whatever, sports and concert market, unless they get a lot of subsidies. And I'm not sure that it makes any sense for them to lose to move the team there um, from Sacramento, since Sacramento is arguably a better market. Um, so, and, and, you know, 
there are other places like Seattle that are certainly better markets than uh, than Virginia Beach. Yeah. Um, so are they just stringing them along? Are they actually serious about this? Uh, again, uh, in a rational world, I would expect that you would say, oh, they're just stringing them along and they're, you know, really just trying to get a better deal out of somebody else. But I don't know who somebody else is at this point. Yeah. You know, Sacramento isn't really negotiating anymore after twice coming up with plans and then having them aloof at the last second say, oh, never mind, forget it. Um, they don't want to move to Seattle, it seems like, because Chris Hansen wants to actually buy the team and then Maloof, for whatever reason, refuse to let go of the team, even, you know, to the person who would probably give them the most money. And who else? I mean, I guess they're trying to, like, you know, kick the tires in places like Kansas City and St. Louis, and maybe this is just an attempt, you know, by uh, George Maloof, who sounds like the one who's most willing to move, um, to sort of shop the team around and sort of see what, you know, what offers shake loose. Um, like I said, I don't take Virginia Beach very seriously, but when Oklahoma City built their arena, I didn't take them very seriously <laughs> either. Um, so lots of things can happen. Yeah, I don't think what's being talked about, though, is their frantic behavior of the Move brothers. Are they out of money? I mean, they lost their Vegas hotel, and it just seems like the world is kind of closing in on them. Yeah, I, the, people have been saying that for years, right? That they're about to go out of, they're about to go bankrupt, and they're about to, you know, they're going to have to sell a team, and they're going to have to, and it never quite seems to happen. Um, I mean, I think the big question with Virginia Beach is less right now is less does it make sense as an NBA market, and more are, is there any way on earth they're going to get this money? And it sounds like the Virginia, Virginia legislature is fairly skeptical about throwing a whole lot of money at this deal at the moment. Um, so it's possible that thing will just sort of die of its own accord. Um, although <laughs> arena deals almost never seem to die forever, so you have to worry that you know if this one fails, then they'll say, "Oh no, wait, we've got <laughs> this other thing that doesn't involve direct money from the state," and you know cook up cook up, cook up some other uh, financing scheme. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm having this is another one that I'm, I'm having a hard time predicting today. Yeah, yeah. Um, you write that this can be a starting point of a new trend in sports deals where they don't just subsidize the arena, but the teams as well, since they are willing, the mayor wants to pay for the relocation fee. Um, is this the part of the pony that the Edmonton Oilers uh, owner, Daryl Katz, wants in, as part of his deal as well? Or, and he doesn't want to say in public? Or is there other examples of teams asking directly to subsidize a team and not just the arena? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been plenty. I mean, not plenty, but there's been a few. I mean, the the Glendale Coyotes thing is, is certainly an example where they're they're getting money just you know a straight cash subsidy. Um, New Orleans Saints for a while were getting just cash payments uh, every year to play there. Um, Chargers, one, again, I think, it's a little more unusual because the money is going towards uh, this like relocation fee. Um, I want to say there was somebody else. I wanted to meet with Oklahoma City where they. Uh, oh, I think you know what I think it was. I think it was when the uh, after Katrina, when the Hornets played in Oklahoma City. Oh yeah. Um, and they basically got paid to play there on the grounds of well, you know, this is our only chance to get a to get a team and uh, and sort of try out for the NBA. So we're just going to guarantee your profits. Um, and. You know, I, I think mostly, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether you're paying them $80 million towards an arena or $80 million towards the relocation fee. It's the same money either way. Yeah. Um, but it's just a matter of which looks better, you know. So if they can say, oh, well, you know, we're just paying their, these costs that they have of moving, we have to pay that, um, 
maybe it sounds a little bit better than, oh, we're giving them $80 million because they don't want to have to spend their own money. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to wrap up with uh, your adventure into the Big Brown Turd, commonly known as Barclay Center last night. Uh, is the re- inside as revolting as the outside? <laughs> well, it, 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 all right, so I went there last night for a concert, not for a sporting event. This okay. was for Neil Young and Patti Smith. So um, it's, all, it's all colored through that and through the fact that, you know, rock music and 20,000-seat uh, arenas are not a great match to begin with, um, unless it's, you know, exactly the right kind of music and exactly the right kind of arena. Um, the the problem. So we talked about the outside of this of this horrible arena in Brooklyn. The inside, um, everybody was talking about. Oh, you know, it's it's it feels really intimate, and it's, and Jay Z did you know designed the colors, and it's all sort of blacks and grays, <laughs> and the blacks and grays come off less you know sort of hip than just kind of bland and corporate. And the answer to this whole thing of oh, it feels intimate. I mean. I, like so many other new sporting venues, the problem with them, the fundamental problem with the design is that you have to figure out a way of um, jamming in all of this luxury seating and you know, uh, club seats and, and suites and things like that, um, and yet not have the people who are sitting on top of those in the top deck, where I was last night, um, feel like they're 10 miles from the action. Yeah. Some... Stadiums and arenas do this better than others. Barclays Center does not do it particularly <laughs> well. So I was in the front row of the upper deck, and I felt like I was watching the show from the other, you know, the opposite room of the Grand Canyon because it was just like this massive sea of air between me and the stage, um, and even between me and the people in the lower seats. So it wasn't like I even really felt part of the crowd. Um, and so- it's a problem, and it's something you know that I think arenas and stadium designers tend to kind of overlook or at least give short shrift to when they do their designs. Yeah. Um, but it really makes for a dramatically different experience. You know, it's something I've noticed at old Yankee Stadium versus new Yankee Stadium, where the old one, you know, even if you were in the lousier seats, you know, you felt like you were in this bowl of noise, whereas the new one, you feel like you're looking down on a bowl of noise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and a much smaller bowl of noise because the, the only noise is coming from the Corporate seats and those people aren't as noisy. <laughs> no, they're so, just. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I, no, so I think it's a, I think it's a big problem, a big loss with a lot of these new venues is that you know it it doesn't feel like the communal experience um, uh, that it did at some of the older places because you know I think some of the class division is just baked into the architecture um, and I think that's unfortunate, but clearly it makes more money than the old way. Yeah, so it's kind of like Barclays is kind of like Staples Center where you have three de- decks of like luxury boxes and this upper deck is so far removed it's hard to see a hockey game whereas in the pond you get a really bad seat but you're still closer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, there's lots of places with this problem so it's not unique but um, you know, having been to lots and lots of events at Madison Square Garden which was built in 68 um, and which has plenty of its own problems, believe me, um, but it doesn't have this one. Um, and this just, you know, felt like a dramatically different experience. And I'll go there for a basketball game at some point, and uh, then uh, I can report back on that. Yeah, what were the issues with the bathrooms? <laughs> the bathrooms, so, so apparently the bathrooms downstairs for the rich people are great. There's, like, big wide concourses and no lines and stuff like that. Um, in the upstairs where I was, they wed the bathrooms into the part of the building where the hallways, the concourses are the narrowest, 
so that might work during a sporting event, but you know, during a concert, everybody runs to the restrooms between the sets, right? Between yeah. the acts. So everybody poured out, and there were these huge lines coming out of the bathrooms, and nobody could get by to get to, like, the concession stands or anything like that. So it was a massive traffic jam, and it just seemed, again, you know, people have been designing arenas for a really long time now, and the thing that everybody always complains about is not being able to get around, and I was sort of surprised to see that... Uh, that you know, this was how they designed it. I mean, Madison Square Garden just underwent like an eight hundred million dollar renovation to not have this thing happen. Um, and Barclays <laughs> is you know brand new, and it's already got this problem. Oh wow! So our guest, our first guest this uh, morning, has been Neil DeMoss. He runs the blog FailedTheSchemes.com and wrote a book on the same uh, subject by the same name. Is your book available on on the Kindle and stuff as well? Oh, we got ebook editions. We got all kinds of things. Apparently, people in Canada can't get it very easily, but um, huh. you know, in the United States, it's it's very accessible. University of Nebraska Press does a great job with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for joining on the show. Thank you for joining me on the show this morning. And uh, um, this is the Heather McCoy show.